At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. to the Mixing Music Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music, where you can listen to any of your favorite podcasts, and you can find our podcast on Amazon.com forward slash Mixing Music. I am your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, lovely Lou. I did just do my hair, so I'll take it. It does look nice. It's like uh, a nice lavender purple. You can see a little light bleach on top with the clean fades on the side. Oh, yeah. You can uh, watch us and see what we look like. Judge our appearance if you just go to MixingMusicPodcast.com and check out our YouTube channel. You know, my favorite thing that anybody's ever commented from watching those videos is, you know, DK doesn't look anything like what I thought he'd sound like or whatever. But the weirdest part is that he said, uh, Lou sounds exactly what he looks like. Good job. I'm like, what does that <laughs> Good mean? Job. Good job. What does that mean? <laughs> so come judge our appearances uh, on the Mixing Music podcast available online on YouTube. All right. Let's get right into it. This is a, a good episode that we want to talk about. We have a topic and we're going to get into many tangents um, but this is an important topic. Uh, how this triggered, how this topic, you know, came up was um, I was giving a lesson to one of my students, and I only have a couple students. I, yes, I do have an opening right now if you're interested, but oh, you can always just I might DM take me. it. Lou might take it. Uh, it's not available anymore. Um, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, with one of my students, we he watched me mix. He was watching me mix. That's what he wanted to do, and he brought up the idea that. Um, when he's mixing, he tends to focus on the individual track and gets hyper-focused on EQing, leveling, panning, whatever it is, treating that individual track. And he noticed that when I mix, I'm I'm doing a, a treating the individual track, but I'm more thinking in more macro terms. Oh, I want this piano to be more low mids because I want more low mids to be filled out in the song. 
right mm-hmm. now. There's not enough low mids filling out the song. So I'm thinking about the macro terms and, and thinking about the tonal balance in the song rather than how to make this individual track sound the best. Like every individual track plays a role and I'm looking at the roles that need to be played in the in a larger spectrum there. Um, Lou has mentioned in the past that he likes to mix top down, yep. um, which I think you have to think about this like the, like that, like more from the top-down perspective, a little bit more macro perspective. Um, and so I think there's many different tangents and topics that we'll get into. But the point is, I do feel like that this is a common problem that people face even if they aren't noticing. And if you're, if you're you know, drop your ego for just a moment and try to listen to this episode with an open mind, I think that you may find yourself doing this on accident as well. And rarely do I ever find people do this on purpose. Honestly, one of the biggest uh, signs is probably if you relate a little too much to the, I was working on the snare for three days and I still can't get it right. Yeah, no, for real. That is a real thing that happens. You hyper-focused on one element and forgot, oh, but there's way more than just the snare. Yeah, and I saw example, for example, the way that you should be thinking or that I recommend you try to think about the snare is not how do we make this snare sound good. It's more how do we get it to fit in the song. Oh, yeah. So it's not about making the snare sound as best as possible, but every single track, and we're thinking from a tonal balance perspective, the snare, like if you make it very high-pitched and bright – that's not going to fit on every single song. It depends nope. on what else is going around around it and what the purpose of the song is and how the song is feeling in general. There's just a lot more that should go into it than making that individual snare feel great. For another example, something that is a rule of thumb that I recommend you do pay attention to but is not doesn't work for every song is that on songs where you want the kick and snare to be hitting quite well, um, I do notice that in the meters, you want the kick and drum to be hitting similarly. Mm-hmm. Like the peak should be relatively similar, but ev- not, that doesn't work every time. But um, for me, I find that that works oftentimes and sometimes is, a great, is at least a great starting point. But again, your final decision on whether or not that works is based on how the music sounds around the kick and snare, yep. and it should that that decision to leave it or change it from that starting point should be made based on what is necessary for the song. And there's been many times where if I solo a track, it doesn't sound good. That snare or that kick doesn't sound good solo. It's got way too much of that clickiness of the the kick that just doesn't sound good. Yeah. But then you put it in the mix, and you're like, oh, why does it sound so good? And, and yep. maybe a part of me is like disappointed, like, oh, I really didn't think that. I was gonna fought sound against good. it, and it's what it needed exactly I, yep. I catch myself doing that but yeah, let's honestly, talk about top down and, and yeah let's yeah. let's talk about that so it's kind of funny um the thing i like about top down is um honestly if you look at an analyzer Wait, hold on what is top down mixing okay, let's start there okay. let's start there so top down mixing you can kind of think about it as going from the pinnacle of the mix which is the master bus right and moving your way downward now typically speaking that doesn't mean throw a limiter and you're done no that's not mixing and that's not mastering either so don't limiters are not the answer but they will help you at the end once you get the right mix but with top-down mixing you're working on the actual buses and the groups as a whole so you're processing more of the drum bus and then if you need to actually alter something within that bus then you'll go to the individual tracks and it's not to say that oh, you know, you shouldn't necessarily have to always process each individual track, but you should be looking to identify what is actually wrong with that group. Let's say that you have a melody group. It's like guitars, keys, um, piano, whatever. Um, 
if you're listening to it, and it's like, wow, like they sound good together, but they suggest too much bass. Okay, cool. Do you go to the individual track or do you just generally roll it off so that it keeps the relationship? Because part of that sound is this. Um, this is why I like top-down mixing. This is the real reason. If you ever like start processing a lot on individual tracks and then listen to it as a group again after thinking like, oh, there's just too much bass and I'm going to take it differently off of each one, the relationship changes. The actual blend changes. And because of that, you might have altered something that you didn't realize you were altering, which is the feel of it. With Top Down, you might just say, like, all it really needed was a shelf down, like 2 dB. The relationship stayed the same. The overall balance stayed the same. And you completed the same thing. Now, if it's an issue of hearing clarity issues, then, yeah, you can process the individual track. But if it's just, there's just a little more bass. Okay, cool. Don't overthink it. Just shelf it down a little bit. It's definitely a mind shift focus. Like yeah. you, you change your mindset, so you shift your mindset. What mm. did I say? It's a mind it's shift focus? It's a mind focus? shift focus, yeah. Okay, you, you got to shift the focus of your mindset. Yes. I think that was the collection of words in the order that is correct. Um, but uh, one of the things that's really important is mixers tend to get hyper-focused. We've all done this where we're, like exactly what you said, focusing on an individual track and we realize, okay, this is not helping and serving the song in a macro perspective. Um, we've talked in previous episodes about the importance of not soloing tracks the entire time you're working on them. Yep. Um, but there is a mental shift. And in the case of my student, he says that, uh, he said that his goal was trying to make the individual tracks sound great. And if you make them sound great, then the collection of tracks will sound good. But that's a flawed piece of logic because yep. we all know that, well, I, th I hope that we're going to learn that that does not work. Yep. That B does not equal A, right? And um, in this sense, honestly, the tonal, the overall balance of a mix is not determined by how good the individual tracks are. It's how they interplay with each other. Yep. It's how all the, inter uh, the tracks play with each other and balance with each other. So for example... Um, you, and this is a total, the way that you look at a mix. Um, for example, the low end feels a little off is one way that I would describe while in the correct macro mindset. Whereas mm -hmm. in, the, in the micro mindset, I'd be like, okay, the kick drum and the bass are not playing together right. Yep. I need to fix the kick drum. The kick drum yeah. feels like it's the culp culprit. But it might be more than that. And you need to back up and figure out, first off, is the low end really a problem? Yeah. And then maybe get a little bit more micro and be like, okay, what in the low end is the problem? Yeah. And it's okay to solo things. We're not recommending that you don't solo things. Lou and I solo things all the time, but, but there is a major part of our mixing process that is unsoloed. No yeah. solos going on. If Honestly, if I'm ever soloing, it's usually because, okay, there's a lot going on in the mix. I want to verify that what I'm hearing is coming from this source. Like a very common thing is like hearing like somebody, somebody's vocal tone ringing. Have you ever experienced that where like there's like a whistle tone to some singers and because of that, you might hear like this tone in the mix and you're like, where is that coming from? Is that, is that an instrument? Is that a vocal? What is this? So you might solo the groups. You might say, let me listen to the instrumental bus alone. Let me listen to the vocal master. Oh, there it is. Okay, so it's there. You might start soloing things out and then correcting certain things in solo. But the issue with this is that let's say that you overfocus on the proverbial snare. You say, okay, I want it to hit harder. 
great, what was wrong with the transient before? Like, and what specifically wasn't hitting that hard? Because the transient can be anywhere in the spectrum, right? So just putting a compressor, putting a gate, putting a transient shaper, putting a clipper, putting an EQ, even if it sounds great on its own, it could still sound like absolute dog shit in the mix. And I think that's where like the big issue becomes. Like if we solo, it's not because you're trying to solo to make it perfect in solo. You're soloing because you want to actually listen to a little more detail of what you found in the mix. I'm wondering if, if I'm trying to think of like actionables that you can do, you know, call to actions here, actionables that you can do to, I got one. to figure this out. Yeah. W- what were you thinking? Uh, listen to your mix and don't listen to the individual track, but try to find overtones, things that just stand out or building up a lot and see if you can identify where it's coming from without having to hit solo and solo to verify if you're right or wrong. And if you're wrong, unsolo and try to find it again just by listening in. It's a really good way of just trying to see if you can hear the different elements and how they react to each other. You might discover uh, that you have an ear that picks up on masking really well or not as well. And at that point, can you find tools that help you uh, better or, you know, whatever? Yeah. And so, again, like defining mixing. Mixing is blending of tracks and having the blended tracks sound cohesive and great. Yep. It is not the art of making individual tracks sound great. No. And, and, it, and in every mix, you'll find a classic phrase that we hear within mixing engineers is balanced mixes are boring mixes. Yeah. Um, and this, is, this episode is not necessarily about that, but we could go on about that. Um, we want things to work together. And sometimes giving the listener something to focus on is, is a really great way of doing it. But I was thinking the call to action or an, an, a practice. So if you only mix and you don't master it all, or if you're only a producer or recording engineer or you do everything, even if you, even if you do everything, um, one way to practice this and shift that mindset is to master some of your own songs from years ago. Or some practice songs to master or offer free mastering for other people for your personal learning. Because when you master a song, the way that you EQ things and the way that you compress is, is totally different than the way you would EQ and compress individual tracks. You have to change your thinking and recognize that when you dip 300 hertz in a master, you may be removing the muddiness of the vocal but you're making that snare hit less hard yep. and you're removing that weight from the guitars. Yep. And so like it's a game of balance and and that will shift your mindset in a way that when you only work with individual tracks it totally changes. So I recommend that for the sake of practicing and for your mind shift, mindset shift, uh, try mastering a few songs and and making the overall thing, the overall balance sound better without being able to access every track. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good way of looking at things. And I think more mixers should be looking at their projects like that from a much more macro perspective. Um, when I finish a mix, and I'm sure you do this too, when, I'm, when I go through the individual tracks and the buses, the very end of the mix, what I spend a lot of time on 
are the buses. Okay, yeah. I got the vocals sounding good on its own. I got this sounding good, and even when I'm mixing individual tracks, I'm like, okay, I recognize. Okay, the vocals are going to be upper mids in this song, so I'm going to make the guitars and the piano be more lower mids. I I can tell that I'm going to want more lower mids to fill out the spectrum a little bit more and give a little bit more weight and not cover up the the high mids, the vocals where I, this female vocalist is. I know it's going to sit, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like anticipating where everything is going to sit, and after I get everything to the best that I can, anticipating where everything is going to balance with each other, then I go back and I listen for, and I'm sure you do the same thing, okay, the low mids, how do they feel? The high mids, how do they feel? The vocals, how do they feel in, in reference to everything else? Does the entire sonic balance of the song feel full? Are there room is there room that i can take up like for example a low mid light mix a mix with not enough low mids will not carry as much weight mm-hmm. and so like get like what is the definition of weight and what does it mean that a song doesn't have enough weight well you don't know if you if you aren't paying attention to the macro scale yeah. of things and so i'm sure you do this I, i've mm-hmm. said that now three times um where we spend time thinking about the weight of these different frequencies and how that's going to play into the overall loudness yeah. and the overall balance of a song. Because, like, same song, same mix, same level, same compression, same everything, but on the master fader, if you just do, like, a cut at 300, and then the next master, same mix, same everything, except this time you do a boost at 300, or the next one, you know, and compare mm-hmm. these two mixes, the emotion and the weight of the song, the feeling, the vibe of the song is going to be very different. Oh, yeah. And it's even going to change what is emphasized in a song. But anyway. Uh, now, let's say that you don't know what to add it to. Uh, <sighs> if you have the isotope bundle, you probably have tonal balance control, which actually has one little nice handy feature, which is, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's option click on the graph, mm-hmm. where you can kind of like solo out certain bands and all that. Not, But it's flexible. You just move it around. If you're kind of like, it feels a little lacking in this range, but I'm not really sure what I can add it to, just solo that range and listen to the instruments or the what is actually going on there. It might just be that there's really just vocals there, and you might have discovered, hey, actually... I could add some body back to the vocal. I might be able to add, add some body back to the guitars. Maybe I, maybe I took too much from it, and you start kind of refilling ranges that maybe you cut too much from. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, um, I do this all the time with tonal balance control. I, I see a dip in like one to two K because mm-hmm. I've cut too much stuff out of there. And uh, or no 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 more often uh, when there's too much of a specific frequency. Let's say there's too much five hundred hertz in this yeah. one mix that I'm doing. I'll solo that frequency to figure out what is the loudest. Like, what's in that frequency range? Okay, I hear piano, guitar, and, yeah, some bass even, let's say, in this this specific example. There's too much of a buildup here, and I can hear it, and I don't like the Mm buildup. First off, we need. I think it's important to recognize that I don't like that buildup. I'm not doing it because I visually see a buildup. I see the visual buildup, which triggers me to pay attention to, do I like that buildup? And then I decide I don't like that buildup. I solo it to figure out what's causing that buildup. And then I go back to the individual tracks. Yeah. So that's the thought process. I never, I, and, and Lou, I know you don't do this, but I never ever look at a buildup in a graph and just assume that that's king. That, that's yeah. the information. That, that's all the information that I needed. And it's, it's not like you have to determine whether or not you like that sound. Yeah. So there's this kind of funny trick that I've seen a lot of engineers do. And since seeing it, I'm not going to lie, I do use it once in a while out of curiosity because uh, I'm very used to tonal balance control, right? But 
have you ever seen the Q3 uh, trick, which is put it in freeze mode? Oh, yeah, hold your, hover your mouse the, over it? Just no. hover your mouse over it? Well, you could do freeze mode, uh, but with 4.5 curve, 90 decibel range, um, with fast response. This and is Fab Filter? Fab Filter, yeah, huh. on Pro Q3. Um, and essentially... Uh, my favorite song to reference on it is Traffic by Loudpack. It's not that it's my favorite song by a long shot, but essentially what you can do is just let the song play through. And because it's freezing the graph, you can kind of see where the peaks and valleys are as a whole and ah. uh, in, in a very one-dimensional kind of way. That's the issue. It's it's not showing you time-based. It's showing you statically what was the total. But what's really cool about this is if you were ever wondering, like, do you feel like you have more bass than the last song? It's kind of cool to see that on Loudpack's uh, track, they have exactly three decibels more than they do in any other range, but the rest of the range is exactly flat. And the, what's funny is, like, usually people say, I want more air, I want more highs, I want more lows. Well, in order for the bass to actually sound like it hit hard, they actually made the highs darker, which is why it doesn't have that California scoop kind of look to it. But, like... It's a cool trick to kind of like... California scoop, I like that. Yeah, it's like a scoop of ice cream. It makes everybody happy. <laughs> you know, but um, it's kind of funny to see it and be able to say like, oh, weirdly enough, this visually kind of makes sense. Like, it's a hard-hitting low-end song with tons of transients, but it actually sounds really bassy. But in reality, it's actually that there's not a lot of top end. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that's the only problem with these like long-held-out songs. Like, for example... Yeah. There's been folk songs which are meant to be dark, and there's yeah. like muffled keys yep. and a muffled vocal and a kick drum, and that's all it is. You should never attempt to fit something like that yep. into tonal balance control set to pop settings. Yeah, no. It like again, going back to the idea of looking at tonal balance, or or one, another one that I've been using recently is Span by Vox. What is it, Vox Ango? Oh, Voxango's great. Yeah. Span by Voxango is a free meter. Um, it depends on what you're looking at. But using those as a reference to, again, determine if you like it or not. It should never, you should never be trying, the goal is not to fit in those mm -hmm. parameters or not to have any resonances at all. The goal is to uh, bring your mind to attention of things that you may have lost objectivity on. Yeah. Like, okay, Oh, maybe I didn't realize that I was causing a little bit too much buildup in 1K. Yeah. Oh, and then again, recognizing, do I like it? Yeah. And I've even me, as a seasoned mixer, there's times where like I rely too heavily on the meters, yep. and I make a mix decision based on it, and it, it definitely did not well. serve the song. Yeah. And, and that is the problem with meters. Like a, a recent example that I've been given, because, uh, you know, uh, you've gone with me a couple times now to the gym, but it was kind of funny because uh, I keep getting the question asked, like, how much weight are you trying to lose? I'm like, well, I'm not really focused on that. But a big reason for that is, one, trying to create the right habits, right? We're not looking at our meters and relying on them because we, want, we don't want to hit a certain decibel because we don't want to create this weird uh, sense of like everything has to look exactly the same but have you ever like considered the BMI chart which is your body mass index like you could look at a dude that's overweight at 200 pounds whatever your height is I don't I don't really know what height you have to be to be considered overweight at 200 I'll be honest I'm closer to 300 than I am to 200 but uh, point is there's also people like Henry who's like covered in muscle and he weighs the same amount 
Is he overweight by I definition? I know that nobody you know listening I mean? knows who the heck Henry is. Henry uh, has Henry been on the show is, a couple yeah. times. He's yeah, one he of is. our assistants, interns, friends. Uh, engineers. He's, he's now working at another studio. He's the head really producer cool. for another studio. Like, yeah, he's doing good. Dude's blown and he's, up. He's been, he's been taking Lou and I. Lou's been, uh, we've been both both of us, the entire yeah. In The Mix Studios team has been on a fitness stint recently. Yeah. Um, it's actually a really good habit. I recommend everybody that's listening to... You know, go on a run. Listen to this podcast while while going on a light jog. Somebody told me they go do. Go to the gym. Uh, when they lift, they're listening to our voice. And I was like, I'm excited and scared. Well, for those that are listening to us in the gym. Use Amazon I'm Music. I'm going to tell you right now, do one more. <laughs> do one more, bitch. <laughs> do one more. Okay. But, that was, that was. It's, but it's <laughs> kind of funny because like, think about how we use like uh, tonal balance control and how we use um, like the the Q3 trick and like how you use the Vox single, right? Some people might look at it and be like, oh, but theirs has more highs. I'm like, is it that it has more highs or does, is it that it has less mids? Is it that it has less lows? Because this whole balancing act is more around like how you hear things. Like if you wanted to trick people to think that there was more bass in the song than there is take out some of the highs if you wanted to make it feel a little more energetic and a little bit tighter and a little more a little more upbeat without having to change the tempo take out a little bit of lows like it's actually kind of just common emotional tricks but um focusing too much on the meter and saying like oh use tonal balance control to do this and q3 to do this um we definitely don't want to lead people down that path it's the same issue like i said with the bmi chart you could be the same weight but you have two completely different bodies you yeah. know it's not a perfect chart in any sense, whether it's audio or health. And I want to go more into this, but for a moment, let's talk about our sponsors. Cool. Uh, we're sponsoring our own podcast at the moment. Um, if you're interested, if you like this podcast, yeah. and you want to hear three times the amount of content. Three times. Three times the amount of content. For $4 a month or $40 $4. a year, you can sign up for exclusive episodes of the podcast. We have a decent group of people that are listening every week and we have new people listening every week. It's awesome. Every single episode is 100% technical based so if you like our mm -hmm. technical episodes we deep dive, pull clips from uh, Grammy winning, award winning in engineers and influencer engineers and breaking down what they like. A couple of the episodes um, I, I shit on them and say no that's not right and here's exactly why and a lot of the times I'm like this is exactly right and you should be implementing this and we talk about specific technical things to implement in your mix Mixing, producing, mixing, mastering. Totally highly recommend. Um, statistically speaking, anybody that joins stays on, which means that we make good content. Nobody ever leaves. So uh, com slash exclusive for that content. It's really great content. Um, exclusive only. Oh, yeah. Another thing uh, that I want to mention, if you are wanting to book studio time in the Los mm -hmm. Angeles area, we have a studio. And, and we one do? of our interns brought up that we never talk about our studio, and they totally didn't know which studio that we owned or worked at. Yeah, I remember that conversation. I was like, really? Yeah, we have a studio. It's called In The Mix Studio. So if you go to inthemixstudios.com, um, or if you DM us, we're more than happy to give you a discount at our studio. Yeah. And maybe even Lou and I will engineer for you if you want to come in and record. Uh, but we have a studio in Los Angeles. Did you know that we we're also doing a beat battle? Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's going to be going okay. while this well, when this episode comes out. But well, I we guess have we'll find packs. out. We have sample packs online. There's a lot yeah. of stuff that's going on in the mixstudios.com. Um, and lastly, uh, Lou is a mastering engineer. I'm a mixing engineer. DM us Ooh. if you'd like to work. If you want us to help you with your mixing and or mastering, um, oh, yeah. just DM us on Instagram. Okay. So back to this idea here. Uh, one of the things that we talked about with EQ, and I think we've brought this up before, but I, and I, I think this directs re, re, specifically directs relates to what we're talking about. Um, 
boosting versus cutting EQ. Mm-hmm. And the idea that all it is is a mindset. There's actually mm-hmm. no difference between boosting and cutting. Because yeah. if you boost 1K with a bell and then you lower the volume, you're doing high and low shelf cuts. Yep. You're emphasizing that mid-range at the expense of the top and low end. Yep. All right, if you do if you do cuts, if you do uh, a 1k a cut at 1k and you turn up the volume, what you've really done is a high and high high and low shelf boost. Yes. Okay, I okay, I I worked through that. I was able to think through that correctly. <laughs> but the point is everything affects everything. Yeah. And when like exactly what you said, when you dull the top end when you take a little bit of that top end down you will naturally notice an emphasis in the low end and again you're not going to notice of this a lot in the mastering phase oh yeah you'll hear a lot of mastering engineers that be like okay we want the vocals to come out a little bit more but they don't have access to the individual vocal track so how do they do that they find the frequencies that the vocals take up more and then sometimes if you're really watching them they'll be like okay that brought out the vocals when i boosted this this 2 to 5k area here it brought out the vocals but it also made the snare drum a little bit harsh so now we have to compensate and figure out ways to bring out the vocals without bringing up the snare yep or maybe we sacrifice it because we can't do both at the same time no. and these are all macro thoughts that are like okay the balance is important we're trying to figure out what it is and I, yeah. I really, I really recommend everybody like think and EQ projects like that and, and yeah. mix like that eventually. That's actually why I like uh, top-down mixing. If you think about it, that's the exact mindset you're supposed to have the whole time. It's like, okay, instead of focusing on just bringing up the snare, because maybe the snare was uh, – because a lot of times when we're mixing, right, we're asked for pros- uh, we are asking for process stems, are we not? So it's usually the balance that they have. And we say, hey, when you send me the stems, it should sound like you're working balance. Like, you know, so – by default, if everything is sent right and everything, I should be able to process the bus and I'm processing the drums the way they were sent to me. Cool. With that said, if I needed just more snare and I thought the snare sounded good, I could just turn it up and that's a little micro change. Cool. But on a macro level, if you're doing it on the actual bus and you say, well, I wish the snare hit a little bit harder, I might do a dynamic EQ boost where the snare is because I like the relationship, but I might just want it to smack a little bit over oh this is actually a good point i do want to reel back a little bit yeah um, you should when you have the individual tracks in front of you you shouldn't change how the snare feels from the mix bus so yeah. so like that the it's more of a practice the mastering mindset is more of a practice but if i if i didn't like this the sound of the snare or like the mid-range i would go to individual tracks to affect the macro yeah, I'm listening for the macro, but using the micro, the the tracks to get there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Yes, but uh, with top down, I do recommend top down mixing before you, um, before you start EQing the individual tracks. Maybe just try this once if you don't, yeah. aren't doing this already. EQ the buses first. Yeah. So the guitar bus, the 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 piano buses, the synth bus, the vocal lead vocal bus, uh, mm-hmm. the drum bus, and if you're going to use EQ, and maybe it might just be levels, yeah, you know the levels by itself, but mix on a bus level first and get everything to sound uh, comprehensive first, and then go to the individual tracks again. If if and if you're doing it that way already then switch and do the individual tracks first yeah. just to practice the shift in mindset i think it is important to figure out what's comfortable for you and you might already find have habits but if especially if you don't have habits that you're comfortable with it's time to start trying different things to figure out 
what neural pathways are most comfortable for you. What way of thinking is most comfortable for you yeah. to solve this problem, this puzzle of a well-balanced mix? Yeah. The cool thing is if you start out with, uh, you know, top-down mixing, you could treat it almost like brush strokes, and then your individual tracks are just your fine point tips right if you're like this track just needs to be a little bit brighter i wish the drums were a little bit brighter instead of going to each individual track just do it from the bus a little bit and then if one specific thing stands out and you're like that still needs to be a little bit brighter cool bring that one up you're going to save on dsp processing which we were asked about uh previously in our discord but that's a good way like if you're starting out you don't have the strongest computer and you're like well i can't really process every track good try out top down mixing first it'll save you a lot of cpu but it'll also make you pay attention to what is an individual track issue and what is a bus issue and what is a master issue. Um, that, yeah, that, I think that's a really great point. And I will say that um, this is more for practice Yeah. because at the end of the day, the way that I like to mix and what's comfortable for me is I still like to work with individual tracks first and then kind of close it all together with buses. Yeah. So I still think about it from a macro perspective, but I do it. I listen macro, but I'm, I'm working micro. Mm-hmm. And then I work up to macro, um, thinking about macro the entire time. So... Um, Whatever you choose, whatever path that you choose, I do think that there's an issue with people not looking at um, their own mixes, their own songs from a distance perspective. Like taking yeah. a step back and looking at the project as a whole, a song as a whole, rather than just staring at a collection of individual tracks, which I yeah. think it does not help the song in most cases. Um, that's pretty straightforward. I think we're rambling at this point, yeah, kind of repeating yeah. ideas. Um, once again, if you're interested in more stuff, go to mixingmusicpodcast.com. And the Mixing Music Podcast is available on Amazon Music. You can download the Amazon Music app and listen to our podcast, or you can just go to amazon.com forward slash mixing music. Thank you for Amazon for partnering with us. And on that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Check out the Mixing Music Podcast on Amazon Music. Just visit Amazon.com forward slash Mixing Music. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.